0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, The Church. So, let's turn to our Bibles, to John chapter 15, verses 12, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Grace of Fellowship.
1: Loneliness is a genuine problem. According to one study conducted by Harvard, more than one in three people in the United States are lonely, and fascinatingly enough, the highest group that experience loneliness are the young. You know, the study that I'm looking at shows that 61% of young adults feel lonely. Well, it's not just a problem in the U.S., it's a problem in the entire industrialized world and the effects are impactful. They include everything from depression to anxiety to heart disease substance abuse, domestic abuse, loneliness, and mental health are closely related. Again, it's not just North America. Indeed, one study that I saw suggested that the world is becoming increasingly lonely. And indeed, this should not surprise us, but study after study has found that social connections are extremely important for our well-being. And by that, we mean our mental health and our physical health. It was years ago that Robert Putnam published his book, Bowling Alone, in which he chronicled that bowling, thought to be a group activity, you know, is often now an activity someone will do by himself. But the book is not about bowling, it's about loneliness. And the author surveyed a long-term trend over decades showing how people in the U.S. were becoming increasingly disconnected from family, from friends, from neighbors, and from social structures. By social structures, he meant, you know, things like PTAs, that is, parent-teacher associations. He also meant other structures, church, clubs, political parties, and of course, bowling leagues. As the structure that once made up the building blocks of our culture is collapsing everywhere, people are finding themselves increasingly isolated, and yeah, you guessed it. I've been speaking about the church and why it is that when we come to Christ, we also come to His church. And while I've been talking about the importance of worship and the means of grace that worship provides, it's also true that God intended that His church should be a family, a place of belonging, a place where deep, enriching friendships are built, maintained, and nurtured. Now, just like in other places in our society, the church has also suffered in this regard. Instead of being a place of connections, there are people who simply attend, stay for an hour and 15 minutes, and then Promptly drive home. Instead of having multiple meetings throughout the week, many only attend once a week, if that. But it's not intended to be that way. One of the means of grace that God has given the local church is the grace of fellowship. Fellowship means that friendship and affection for others will grow and be nurtured. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love as you know can't be nurtured unless at the same time we spend time with each other. Love is not an abstract concept, it's an experience. You know, we hear all manner of descriptions of that in the Bible, Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means that we not only share friendship, but that we're actively looking out for one another, helping one another, and see the needs that we find in each other. Ephesians 5:29 to 30, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So hear those words, nourishing one another, cherishing one another. Those are important words. Romans 12:10. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. How about 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10? Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Yeah, more and more. And then, of course, there's 1 John three twenty three, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And that's followed by 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. My, we could go on and on, but the point I think has been made. Church is meant to be the place where not only do we form lasting friendships, but it's a place where we learn to practice loving one another, the kind of love we learn from God. Now let me add something else to the mix. It's a definition of what the Bible means when it uses the word fellowship. You might remember that on several occasions, as I was speaking about the church, I've been mentioning Acts 2.42. The early church gave themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I've talked about the apostles' teaching and about the breaking of bread and of prayer, but fellowship, that word, and what it entails needs some time. So let's see if we can unpack that just a bit. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Now the word partnership, that's the same word as fellowship. Now here our Bible translates the word partnership because in truth, the word fellowship includes partnership. Paul could have written 2 Corinthians 6.14 as what friendship can there be between light and darkness? And, well, that might have worked, but in that something would have been lacking. A Christian man or woman can form a friendship even with the most grievous of sinners as he or she is, you know, trying to win that person to Christ. I hope you see a person might also have a deep love for the person who is walking in darkness. But on the other hand, the person who's walking in the light and the person who's walking in the darkness, they don't have partnership. They can't. Partnership implies there's a common goal. There's a common purpose. Both of them want to accomplish it. And hence, having the same common goal, they join together to accomplish it. And that's what Paul says. There can be no partnership or no fellowship between light and darkness. That kind of a thing can't exist. You know, as an aside, let's talk about marriage, because as we know, you know, the verse that I've just read sometimes gets applied to marriage. And here, let me make the point. A Christian and a non-Christian can fall in love, but marriage, while friendship and intimacy may exist there, a marriage will never experience fellowship or partnership unless there's a common spiritual goal. If you're still struggling to get a hold of this concept, let me try another avenue. You know, many of my listeners remember the famous Lord of the Rings trilogy written by J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, the first of the three books is entitled The Fellowship of the Ring. And that's a fellowship that's formed to take the ring and and throw it into the fires of Mount Doom. And all the members of the fellowship have the same goal. And because the fellowship has been formed, the members of that fellowship will suffer together and encounter dangers together in order to accomplish their goal. Do You see how it is? Fellowship, at least the way the word is used in the Bible, means more than friendship. Of course it means friendship, but it means friendship born by people who share the same interests and are pursuing the same goals. And you find that particularly among those people who have served in the military. You know, they've gone to combat together. You know, some time ago I watched a very interesting video. It was about a group of four men, all of them vets, who had fellowshiped with each other to ride their motorcycle from the northern part of Alaska to the southern part of South America. It was a fascinating documentary because these men were determined not to sail around the Darien Gap, if you know what that means, but to pass through it on their motorcycles. What particularly caught my attention is that these men had all been in combat. One of them said, I don't know how to live life without having a mission. I need some overarching goal, needs to be large and imposing. All friendship that he knew was born out of that joint struggle with other men to accomplish something great. Well, he had become a civilian, and and it seemed to be lacking in everything he did, and so that motorcycle trip filled the need. Fellowship is a common cause. Are there uses of the word fellowship in the Bible that give that sense? Yeah, there are. I think the best example is in the book of Philippians. Let's listen to how the book begins in verses 3 to 5. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Yeah, again, the word partnership, yeah, that's the word fellowship. Paul is writing his letter while in prison. His missionary activities have landed him, yeah, in jail. Paul has been planting churches in places where the gospel has never been heard before, and he is determined to bring the gospel even farther into the heart of Europe and into Rome. But he's not been doing this alone. Alone would have been impossible. And so the Philippian church have completely bought into the Pauline agenda. They raise money to support him. They engage in his agenda on the local level. They pray for him. They also send people from their church to join him and support him wherever he goes. They have a fellowship, and now as the letter of Philippians opens, that fellowship is in danger. Paul's in prison. He might be executed. All fellowships, you see, have a drama attached to them.
0: Last month, Back to the Bible Canada shared the exciting news that our young adult ministry, In Doubt, has welcomed Andrew Marcus as its new host and director. After much prayer and planning, In Doubt is ready to relaunch this month with exciting new programming. In addition to our regular weekly radio program and podcast, you can now access, on YouTube and in-doubt.ca, the In Doubt Show. New episodes will be posted every Monday featuring guests well-equipped to speak into the challenges of faith, life, and culture that so many young adults are facing today. Humor, fun, but most importantly, a source of biblical truth for those in doubt. Be sure to check out our In Doubt YouTube channel or podcast and share the word with other young adults in your lives. Stay tuned for more exciting news in the weeks ahead and for more information or to support this important ministry, visit
1: indoubt.ca. Let's talk about the kind of fellowship that we're to enjoy in our local church. The first and most obvious kind of fellowship is, you know, the fellowship of worshiping. There's no greater calling in life than the call to worship God. And we saw yesterday that worship is a means of grace. As we worship God, He, through the means of worship, brings grace into our lives. Now, I won't repeat the things I said yesterday, but I do need to emphasize this to join hands with others who know that worship is the great calling of life. That's no small thing. Well, second, there's a fellowship around knowing the things of God. That's why home Bible studies, if they're done right, you know, demand some discipline in their approach to study. They're all about this. They're people joining together to know the Bible well and understand not only how to study it, yes, that, but also to learn the great doctrines of the faith and to seek to live according to them. It forms both a study group, but it's also an accountability group. And out of that arises a third form of fellowship, and it's called a fellowship of prayer. Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Praying together causes a number of things to happen. I mean, first, according to the text that we've read, we're to give thanks for one another in prayer. I mean, depending on your level of comfort with this, and I, I hope you're growing in your comfort level of this, but members of a Bible study ought to lay hands on one another, thanking God for the grace they see in that brother or sister. And when others see what God is doing in them and seeing that others are giving thanks, it strengthens them. And you know, one of the places that prayer often bogs down among us is that it tends to be so very predictable. We ask for prayer requests, and then there's silence, you know, and at least at first, and then someone mentions, you know, prayer for someone they know, who you know, who's been, let's say, diagnosed with an illness. Now, please don't hear me disparaging that. We should pray for all people, but how often do we pray for the mission in our lives or the threats to the mission? You know, I'll say more about that idea that all fellowship depends on having a common mission and prayer around the completion of life's mission is very effective. Let me give an easy example. You know, I was a number of years ago now, but, but I was having extreme neck pain, so much so, I couldn't actually move my head. In- indeed, I couldn't lie down to sleep, the pain was extreme. I went to the doctor, tests were ordered, Included an MRI on my neck, nothing definitive was seen, but my doctor strongly suspected that bone spurs were growing up in my upper spine, pressing on my nerves, and it was very painful. So what were my options? Well, one was surgery, but then I was warned, you know, this might well take away the debilitating pain, but they'll have to go through the front of my neck. And if the process of doing that were slightly off, or the surgeon were to nick my vocal cords, I'd never be able to speak again. It took me some time to take all that in. You know, if nothing was done, the pain was debilitating. Then my ministry was over. But if the surgery was done, my pastoral ministry would be over as well. And a group of brothers showed up at my house. You know, I must have looked a fright. I hadn't shaved for some time. I hadn't slept properly for some time. They didn't care. They brought oil. they had come to anoint me and to pray. And all the men there knew what was at stake. And what happened? Well, I, I was not immediately healed. But I can tell you, I was under a river of God's grace. I sensed God's presence immediately. And the result, I was eventually restored. No surgery, the pain in my neck, you know, it remained to some degree, but, it, but it's never been debilitating since that day. And I mentioned that because all those who prayed for me, had as much interest in the preaching of the gospel and in the evangelism of the lost and of the ongoing work of the ministry, each one of them knew their own calling and each one of them understood what was at stake. These weren't just men who thought, you know, oh, he just might lose his career. No, no, these were men who in the case of one, you know, a man had given his life to advance the gospel in a foreign land. Another who had won many to faith in Christ and so forth. These were soldiers of the cross. These were men who counted it grace to be on the battlefield for the gospel, and they understood that God in his infinite mercy and wisdom had the right to remove any one of his servants at any time. I mean, such was the nature of that praying fellowship on that occasion. And that brings me to the heart of the term fellowship. It's a friendship that's based upon a common calling. It's a common mission. But everyone can't be a missionary or pastor, right? Of course not. Are they then the only ones to have a fellowship in the gospel? And the answer is no. So let's step back and speak about the equipment for ministry and the calling to ministry. Now these matters are about discovering the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given each one of his servants. How important it is for believers to be able to identify the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been given to them. So let's answer this question from the perspective of the church. Paul speaks directly to this issue. It's found in Ephesians 4:11 to 12. Paul says, "And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, for what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ." See, without identifying, you know, who the apostles, prophets, and evangelists are, let's concentrate on that last group, the shepherds, also translated as pastors and teachers. The idea here is that God calls on pastors and teachers to teach the word, and he calls on the rest of the believers to do the work of ministry. That's not a small matter. In the past, I remember, and this was when I was young, we used to call pastors ministers. It's that mindset that we created a church in which the pastors did the ministry. So the pastors were ministers, and everyone else was the laity or a congregant, or a church member. I've frequently seen job descriptions for pastors. They're published, you know, when a local church is searching for one, and, and I'm convinced that if I had applied for it, I would have been unqualified. But I also didn't know anyone who could meet all those qualifications. The pastor was to preach and teach. That was standard, and that, yeah, that's biblical. But then the pastor was to oversee the budget to have the skills to read a financial balance sheet. The pastor was to either attend or to be the chair of countless committees. He was to oversee the Sunday school department. You know, if there was staff, he must oversee the staff and be accountable for staff relationships, also for setting salaries. The pastor was to be available to counsel anyone who needed it and visit the sick and the shut-ins. And that was but the beginning. He ministers and the congregation receives the benefit of his ministry. And of course, the results of that kind of thinking are deadly. Rather than creating a fellowship where like-minded people are on mission for Jesus and find camaraderie in their mission and find friendship and love, instead of that, we have attenders who rate the effectiveness of what's going on. Listen to the New Testament vision of church. It's the church members, not the pastors, who are the ministers. The pastors teach the word faithfully and effectively, and they provide the groundwork or the basis upon which all ministry operates. Outreach is done by the ministers. So is care for the poor, care for the sick. So are those who have specific giftedness in prayer. So also are those who are gifted in administration. I go on and on. I know many who are very effective ministers. I know a woman whose prayer ministry was so effective, and yet it took a toll on her health that sometimes I was afraid to tell her my prayer needs. But she insisted on knowing this woman went to battle with the forces of darkness, would spend hours in prayer interceding for specific lives. I knew several men who ministered to the poor, you know, among the homeless in the population of our city. I knew individuals who wrote missionaries and made sure their needs were met. I knew people who directed parking to our crowded parking lot and some who even won people to Christ there. And what's more, more than one of them stopped illegal activities from happening in a city parking lot. I know people whose entire lives surrounded the teaching and training of children and of youth, ensuring that future generations would have the same passion for Christ that is burning in their own souls. I've known people who thought ushering was a sacred calling, for they always were on the lookout for people who had been left alone and were always ensuring that everyone had a connection to someone. I've known people in phone ministry making sure everyone in the congregation receives a phone call and makes sure their needs are being met. I've known lots of people who taught classes for non-Christians and for new Christians. And what I'm saying is that not only had these people discovered their spiritual gifts, these people had discovered their passion, their calling from God. They were on mission. I know of one woman who is in a church where the pastor doesn't teach Scripture well but she says she can't leave because I'm ministering to youth who have special needs and I can't abandon them. Once you discover your place of ministry, your calling, you soon discover others who have the same calling and a relationship develops and out of that relationship comes genuine love. Only the local church gives us such grace. It's God's chosen means to bring the grace of fellowship into our lives.
0: Thanks, John. Let me ask you a quick question. Is it enough to simply just attend a church, or is there more to it?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, we're wanting to attend when the church gathers for worship. So, we want to make sure that our presence is there. But, of course, a church is a family. And, uh, you know, if you say, well, I'm going to attend, you know, a family for one meal... Uh, per week, and then after that, I'll never be there. I mean, that's not how families are constructed, and it's certainly not the way in which our Lord Jesus constructed the church. I mean, we are to use our gifts. Uh, We are to uh, follow the Holy Spirit's leading and learn how to uh, uh, not live for ourselves, but live for others, count others uh, better than ourselves. We can't do any of that stuff uh, until we're actually involved in the lives of people, sharing life with them, sharing relationship with them. I mean, you know, having meals with them and, uh, and actually being involved in service together. All those are required.
0: Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series The Church right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Every day we're so grateful and humbled at how God is blessing this ministry and broadening its reach. We wanna share that Back to the Bible Canada has recently eclipsed 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you so much to everyone who has supported and tuned in. If you've never visited the YouTube channel before, be sure to check it out at Back to the Bible Canada and consider leaving a comment while you're there. One listener recently wrote, I've been a daily listener to the broadcast for a number of years. I'm especially grateful for Dr. John's teaching that God has used to correct, to guide, and to encourage me in the faith. There are times when it seems like the message is designed exactly for me. For more information or to support Back to the Bible Canada with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.